Ben Shlomo, would you give us the Song of Ascent, sir? A Song of Ascent. When our mind will return to the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai has done greatly with these. Adonai has done greatly with us. We were gladdened. Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who tearfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along weeping, or return in exultation, a bearer of sheaves. May the mouth declare the praise of Adonai, and may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, I am prepared and ready to perform the positive commandment of Birkat Hamazon. <coughs> Pardon me. For it is said, And you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. Gentlemen, let us bless. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless he whose we have eaten. Blessed is he Blessed is he whose we have eaten and through, and through whose goodness we live. Mr. Bartos Avigdor, would you uh, give me that? Ha ha wrong. Can you sing it? That's what we do. I thought we give Greg one that you don't know. Okay, yeah, should we read? I thought we sang the one above. So, but yeah, we So you know the song for this paragraph? Yes. Okay, that was cool. Gee whiz. And that, that was, you. so you normally do it in English? Yes. But it's the same too. No. But you were picking it up, so you know it anyway, right? We know the Hebrew. Yeah, know the Hebrew. So you know the Hebrew, of course, Dad. But, but the English is. <laughs> and even if not, I can remember. The English is slightly faster than the Hebrew. Really? I thought we could. No, the Hebrew is much faster. Yeah. faster than the English. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are putting more words for us sticking in there on the English. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. And the last paragraph. Yeah. 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 
because we don't have ten. All right. Have mercy on our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and the holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Adonai, our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their loans, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous. That we not feel inner shame or be humiliated forever and ever. First paragraph in the pink. May it please you, Adonai, our God, give us the rest through your commandments and through the commandments uh, the given the seventh this seventh day this great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you to rest on it and be content on it in love as adorned by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment. And show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, city of your holiness, for you are the master of salvation and the master of consolation. Line at the bottom of the page. Rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Nicely done. Jonathan, please. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Yaakov, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day he did good, he does good, and he will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, he is bountiful with us, and he will forever be bountiful with us. With grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may he never deprive us. The compassionate one. May he reign over us forever. The compassionate one. May he be blessed in heaven and on earth. The compassionate one. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends. And be honored through us forever and for all eternity. May he sustain us in honor. The compassionate one. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. The compassionate one. May he send us abundant blessings to this house and upon this table and upon this music. The compassionate one. May he send us a large prophet to remember for good, to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. Everyone. May he be God's will that this house not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil of heaven or heaven or standing work, and may no semblance of sin or iniquitous thought attach itself to him from this time and forever. John, the compassionate one. May he bless his master and his house, and his house, and his family, and all of his heirs. The compassionate one. May he bless me, my wife, 
my children, all my grandchildren, and all that is mine, ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing, and let us say, Amen. And uh, Mr. Martin, would you bring it home? Sure. On high may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and trust kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. First paragraph in the pink. The compassionate one may cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and rest day for eternal life. You might as well throw in the second paragraph in the pink. It's not real It's not even close to verse. It would be nice to remind everybody, but since there is an uprising amongst the heathen, <laughs> might as well just drop to the white. The compassionate one. May he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He who is a tower of salvations to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his heights, make me peace upon us and upon all Yisrael now respond. Amen. Fear Adonai, you as holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want in hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, his kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, and Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also avenged. Mm -hmm. I have not seen a righteous man forsaken and his children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Pass your books back to the Martin Sons. Please. We've already had all of our announcements this morning. It's the same group here. For those listening from afar, the fifth day of the week is Kodesh uh, Iyar. And once Iyar is done, six days in, into Sivan, and we have Shavuot. I hope that uh, we will have a strong showing and uh, minion to pray with for that uh, outstanding time, especially for non-Jews. If you're not familiar with that, uh, we will be studying it. Eight in each box, please, Josiah. The only thing I would add to this morning's announcements is that uh, if you do not have a machzor for Shavuot, you probably want to get one now. The eve of Shavuot, even with overnight shipping, is not going to help you. So there it is. All right. Anything else that I'm missing? Did you have all of them? Today is 11 days of Yom. So, uh, yeah. We're at uh, 39? 39? 30, 31? 50 minus 11? 39? 39? 39? 39? Yeah, Lonnie Bahomer, by the way, is is the thirty third day mm. of the count, um, right? Which so is the only day that you can actually do get stuff. A haircut. Get a haircut. <laughs> Praise God. Um, get married and all that it stuff. Otherwise, on day this year. during the Omer, you don't. Um, I don't want a haircut. <laughs> so Making a note. If anyone is interested in, in doing something, um, please let us know. We will probably be doing something. Maybe really. 
Will your kids be there? That's what we want to know. <laughs> yes. Well, it may be the case if Lagba Omer falls on a good day and all of that. It's on Mother's Day. I know. Oh. Then this is without me even conferring for permission from on high or anything like that. Mm. Am I going to be here? Am I that week? We're not going to be here. Mom's not supposed to host things. Oh. <laughs> I should probably just sit down. <laughs> I was going to say, the pool's going to be clean. And okay. Yeah, but we though, we were going to mention that since the ovens are going to be traveling again, we are thinking of hosting the Shavuot. Really? As we did Arab Shavuot. Yeah. Arab Shavuot. Arab Shavuot. It'll be yes. Saturday night. Why are we sleeping on there? Tuesday night. You said it was Mother's Day. That's Lag Bomber. Totally different. Yes. Shavuot. I'm trying to keep up. Shavuot. Is on uh, is two days after Memorial Day this this year. Early June. The very last so day of May. Oh, that's the end of May. It's a Wednesday, so it would be Tuesday. So Tuesday. Tuesday. It would not. Yeah, you can be here hosting class as you like to do because you don't like to cancel. Everybody else. Or you could host class office. at our house, and that would be fine too no. for everybody. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. That was not discussed. That's <laughs> yeah, not the plan. Yeah, this is a new plan coming so, out yeah, right now. Party at our okay. house. Never mind. You can't do that. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like class will be canceled on Shavuot. So I would think. Plan for that know. now. Not gonna take we, but my point though was that we will be having a discussion about the Torah, most likely Ruth. Of course, Ruth. Of course. You know. right. So. Yes, but we're still thinking about options. But definitely Ruth. I'm forced to be reading Ruth. Ruth's a big deal, and um, you can get the uh, Book of Ruth from Kahot uh, uh, Publications, single volume. Great commentary, nice font to read from. So that would be a thing and to throw in. Of course, the holiday is a holiday in which people stay up very, very late. I may or may not be going to bed before you, but my house has one of those little buttons you press and the door locks automatically, so you can just let yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> just lock the door when you leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, breakfast. So if you're not gone by then. Poached yeah. eggs? What? Yeah. <laughs> And Only if Isaac's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will not be hosting. No. <laughs> right. If you're hosting the night before you're next morning. I'll probably still be asleep. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Good stuff. So jumping into Shmini, I assume. Um, just wanted to say, I know it's already 1:30, but it'd be great if we finished a little bit earlier. Would like to read the Perkei vote. Yeah. It started today through the end of the year. Or can you, up until can you go through that? That. That, uh, habit. So Perkei Avot is the ethics of the fathers. It's basically like a collection of proverbs that are put together from uh, famous Jewish sages throughout the millennia. They, uh, well, not millennia. Well, I guess it's like basically one and a half millennia. Anyway, point is that they um, they uh, have little phrases, short phrases, usually occasionally a bit longer. And you, there's uh, what six of them, six sets, six, six chapters yeah. of Perkei Avot, and it's actually the beginning of. One of the uh, tractates of the Talmud, right? I just can't. Is it Avot? Perkei Avot. And it's in your sitter. It is in the sitter. So, so if, you can also get it in the nice leather bound version, you know, with the sparkling <laughs> pages and text. <laughs> but, sparkling pages. You can um, get it on Judah's app. That's right. So it's, um, nice but words. traditionally, because it's six, it lines up very nicely with the six Shabbats between the end of Pesach, after Pesach and the holiday of Shavuot. So traditionally, you read Perkei Avot during that stretch. So again, that's a kind of a special time. We can wrap up maybe 10, 15 minutes earlier than usual. Absolutely. We'll just 
plow through that after it's done, which is really great. We love that. So, Shmini, and I, as I like to oftentimes do, and maybe you should be prepared for it by now, Micah. Micah, I've got a question for you. Um, Micah the old man. Can you think of a, of, a, of a type of activity, something you can do, in which it's extremely important that you do everything just right? Cooking. Very good. It's a great example. And what happens if you were to be baking a cake and decide that you, did, you didn't want to use eggs, you wanted to use chili powder instead? <laughs> Nobody would eat it. Nobody would eat it. <laughs> well, um, it, it, wouldn't it wouldn't hold together. See, it would, complete, it would be a complete disaster, which is kind of what happens in our, in our parasha this week. We have a situation in which uh, God has prescribed a very specific t- uh, exact thing that the, the priests had to do for the inauguration of the priesthood, and Aaron does an excellent job. He follows the recipe perfectly. His sons, unfortunately, get carried away. And I think the lesson here, to me, is that we, we, when you read in the, in the threat scripture, you see, we see also in our Haftarah, we see also in, um, with Yeshua, with the, with the temple, you get this idea that zeal is always a good thing. It's great to be passionate, it's great to be excited. And zeal is a good thing. It's good to have that energy and that emotion. Um, the danger is that anytime we get emotional, anytime we allow ourselves to get really excited about something or really overcome with the energy of something, then if we don't think clearly, it sometimes can become to our detriment and not as a positive. And uh, you know, I think it's it, we all probably can remember those of us who've been keeping Torah for a long time. Remember that you know that time early on, you're so excited and. You know, you talk to your Christian friend who's not keeping Shabbat, and you call them something you probably shouldn't have called them, and you argue with them for like an hour and a half, and they never talk to you again. You know, something like that. Because sometimes you get carried away. You get so excited. And, and I think that, I really feel like that's what happens in our parsha here. Because if you read the, the, the sage's commentary about the sons of Aaron, the two sons, um, who end up uh, getting carried away and then, get, and then dying because of it. And then getting carried away. And then getting carried away, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the origin of the phrase "getting carried away." Carried away. Um, they, uh, they don't. The, the sages don't really see them in a negative light. They don't see them as bad people. They don't see them as rebellious. They don't see them as as sinning. They see them as as essentially zealous. Yeah, overzealous, kind of losing control. And actually, the commentary says that when when Moses comforts Aaron, he says that didn't God say? Um, that I would be, through those close to me, I would be sanctified. And the point of that is uh, not to say that, um, I, I used to read that and be like, God's like basically saying like, look, I'm, I'm gonna be sanctified by you, and if you don't sanctify me in front of the I'm people, gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. That's actually not what Moses is saying. What Moses is saying is, these two men are very close to God. And it's because God has such high expectations, and because the, the responsibilities they had were so important, that the penalty for even making a small mistake was so severe. And as a result of that sin and then punishment, the people are in awe of God. And the, uh, we, if you we were, if we were, I don't know what the, uh, I didn't see what the, uh, the apostolic was, writings. It was annoying. That's a shame, because really the best passage for this week is Ananias and Sapphira. Because you get a very similar idea. Now, of course, they lied, so they're not, they're not as, as non-rebellious as, um, these ones, as, as the sons here. But the thing that's beautiful about that story is that as soon as they drop dead, they tell the lie, they both die, it's a big deal, and everyone fears God. Because the idea is, if, if you want people, you don't want to have to give the punishment very often. 
I mean, I think that's, you know, we were laughing at lunch, talking about the firstborns get some of the hardest punishment, which is usually true. You gotta set, gotta set standard. Right, but part yeah. of it is because you have to set an example. You want the younger children to see the firstborn get punished so that, so that they hopefully won't make the same mistake. And then hopefully the firstborn doesn't make the same mistake either. Mm -hmm. In the case of uh, the, the sons of Aaron here, they don't get a chance to make the same mistake again. But the point is that sometimes God has to do that very strong answer. But the, but, but, but the message I get out of the story is you get carried away, it's like that's a good time to kind of like stop. Don't lose control. Think about, okay, I really feel this. This is really great to me, but am I thinking clearly? Am I, is this the, the total picture of what God wants me to do? Because in that case, it wasn't. Well, even in our first paper this morning, it said under the penalty of death. Right. Incorrectly. So it remained a part of their consciousness that the incense was specific. It wasn't mix something that's similar. God had a specific thing and it carried on that it is the penalty of death if you don't do it correctly. Right, exactly. They learned a lesson. It's kind of like you like to say all the time, you know, we had one guy died for not keeping Shabbat. We've been pretty good at doing that ever since yeah, then. That's right. <laughs> Joshua, the, just to give them a, a break as well, if you look back at the end of Exodus and the whole notion is God is so holy and so overwhelming, so transcendent that Moses and Aaron can't even go in to the temple, right. so, or into the tabernacle. So the, the idea was, you know, basically, great, we did all this, we did exactly what you told, you to do, told us to do precisely, right. and it still doesn't work. We can't come into your presence. So if then you look at Leviticus, and it's like, it's almost like, okay, well, here's the mercy side. So God's desire to live among the people is is impossible except he's merciful and he's provided offerings as a means by which the people can't approach God. It's like, well, finally, great. So it's completely understandable now when we get to this chapter in Leviticus that the, the, the two, the two uh, sons, having seen the experience at the end of Exodus and having experience, have heard about the offerings that were going to be offered, now we can finally, the people will be able to approach God. They will be able to go into his presence. It's pretty exciting yeah. to say all of a sudden it's like, great, we're leading this throng into God's presence. So God is so merciful that he's, you know, he's locked this out, but now he showed us a way in. And this is the danger that we, as coming from Christian backgrounds, have as well, because we do exactly the same thing. We say, well, look how harsh and bad it is that we can't approach God because he's so strict. That's the Old Testament. But isn't it wonderful because we have Yeshua that now we can just do whatever we want, although we just don't want to. <laughs> and, and it'll all work out fine. And in fact, we're doing exactly, when we do that, we're doing exactly what these, these well, not exactly, we're doing similar things to what these two sons are doing. We're actually acting as if we're going we're gonna to go through all these steps, but they really don't really matter. Mm. You know, they really, it's not really important because after all, we have grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the issue with them, and I'm not trying to get inside their minds, we just know that it's, their experience over the last few weeks in this, in the Torah, in the Torah timeline, the experience over the last few weeks is God's really merciful. He's very strict, but he's but he wanted to show us strictness. Now he's going to show us his mercy, yeah. and and it, it, it's reasonable for them to say, that's exciting, that's very exciting. And, and in fact, he he didn't ask for this, but Moses has done things that God didn't ask for either. So it's like, what's the downside? We're going to glorify God. I mean, it was it was a worship experience. I think that they were not only completely understandable, but completely within their human right to do this. 
And in fact, God said, no. Yeah. Well, I think it really Which is back. the shocker in the whole hail. It's like, what do you mean, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they're pulling up. That what it, what it does is it, it, it causes, it's kind of like the unpredictability of a parent. And as, as those of us that have children, we've, we've known this, that you don't, you don't warn your kid ahead of time what the punishment will be, number one. <laughs> number two, even sometimes you're unpredictable. You may do something this time and the next time something completely different. It's that level of unpredictability that actually gives awe. So the, the child has awe of the parent. And that's exactly what we see here. Moses does things God hasn't asked for, and nothing bad happens. David walks in, you know, wearing the ephod. He goes into the, into the tabernacle and eats the bread. Nothing happens to him. He makes sacrifice. Yeah. The guy before him did the same thing. Uzziah walks in. I can do what David did. He gets leprosy. So we need to understand God is, is awesome, and he is unpredictable outside of our understanding of Scripture. We cannot predict what he will do. That's true. Except what Scripture tells us he will do. This is where the awe comes in, and that level of respect. And it's like, you think about, I think also a large part of it does have to do with that relationship with God. I mean, think about David, and David understands God so closely. I mean, even Yeshua uses David's example of eating the bread as an illustration of when it's okay to show mercy in the face of the you know explicit direction or whatever, where to find the loophole, so to speak. Um, and and yet, I think that's I think the key though is that God says of David that he is a man after my own heart. And I think if you look here, it, it and what we see kind of with Uzziah, and to some degree, I think we see with Uzzah, is. With Uzziah, I feel like it's really more of a pride thing. He wants to do something he's not allowed to do. With Uzzah in the, in the Haftarah, and then also with the, the sons of Aaron here, um, uh, what are their names? I keep losing it. Uh, uh, not and uh, Abihu. Thank you. Not of and Abihu. They do, I feel like in both, all their cases, their motives are pure. Absolutely. They, they want to do something good. They want to serve God. Um, about Uzzah, Rashi has an interesting comment. He says that that Uzzah's mistake when he touches the ark to try to keep it from falling over, um, his mistake is that he really didn't have a proper enough faith and respect for the for God's presence with the ark. He's like, if, if he had thought about it, he realized that you know, the of course this is partly based on tradition, but they they, they talk about the idea that when the um, when the priest walked into the Jordan in the book of Joshua and the waters part, they say that the priest didn't carry the ark; the ark carried them. They kind of like you know hovered. You know, but all up, right about right around. You know, this is cool. Yeah, because if you look at the dimensions and the, and you think about all that in gold, it's yeah. outrageously heavy for four yeah. men. It's extremely heavy. So the idea is the odds that, that four men could properly carry it for the distance they were carrying in mud is that it probably carried, carried them. So the um so the, the so Rashi's comment is if Uzzah had thought about that, like I don't have to save the ark. God's in charge of the ark. You know, then he would have he would have restrained himself. But he's trying to do something good. You know, it's kind of like these two guys here. They've, as your point, they've seen the mercy of God, and yet God was incredibly precise on exactly what needs to be done for the ceremony. If they thought for just a minute, you know, given how precise God was, maybe I don't want to deviate from the plan until I've gotten some guidance that that's okay. 
Um, and, and, and Moses had made clear, you can't leave this area or you die. I mean, the consequences for doing something wrong in this process had been up front, uh, if I remember correctly. So I think that, that um, it's a case where like the motives were pure. The actions were questionable, and they had a bad consequence. Um, but I remember I was, when I was a kid, I used to listen to Adventures in Odyssey, which put together by Focus on the Family, and they had an entire discussion on one of their shows um, uh, about this story, about not, not, the, not the parasha, the haftar instead, and that question of, is it okay if, what you, if your motives are pure, even if your actions aren't? Um, which is more important? Of course, the answer is kind of like, which is more important, the right wing or the left wing in an airplane? <laughs> you know, they're both necessary, um, uh, but if you don't have, just because you have a good motive doesn't really matter to God, if your actions are not correct. Is it significant at all that there's like that whole paragraph about the intoxicating wine? Well, there's significance there. Because that, I mean, I was thinking, the, the fact that it goes into additional, like that, that the, the quote from Hashem here doesn't just stop at don't drink wine. He then has to even go to the point where he says, because you need to distinguish between the sacred and the profane, True. between the contaminated and pure. And we know, based on the tradition of Purim, that wine can get somebody to the point where they don't distinguish between the two. And the fact that it also says that the penalty here is death. That's right. I've always thought that there was some connection here, but usually in the little like the little commentary of Tanakh, but usually doesn't touch on the significance. Yeah, the sages, the sages okay. do say it's one, one interpretation from the sages is that they were, they had consumed wine at that point, so they kind of lost themselves a bit. Um, one of the other traditions about the sages on this passage it says Adonai spoke to Aaron, saying, and the sages go, "Whoa, like God doesn't talk to just Aaron very much. I think this might be the only time, or one of the only times, maybe twice. Very rare." And they say that the reason why this God speaks directly to Aaron is Aaron's reaction when his sons die. He handles it so well with so much, with he's so obedient to God. He recognizes the significance of what he's doing and he's so willing to put aside his own grief to maintain the, the, the appearance that he needed to to be the priest here that God honors him by giving him a direct commandment, not through Moses. This is straight to Aaron. But yeah, to your point, the sages do comment on the wine thing and say that possibly played a role. In fact, there's a tradition, I believe, in Judaism today that if you're going to make a ruling of any kind, like if you're going to be giving Torah, like not necessarily discussing it like we're doing, but actually like as a leader, you should not have wine beforehand. That makes sense. Airline pilots are forbidden from drinking before you fly. Oh, that's oh. good to know. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking Similar here. Similar idea. Yeah, I was thinking here, probably like, don't drink and offer. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's actually a really good point, though, because, I mean, the sages, they talk about the offerings. I mean, not only do you have to do something, I mean, to, to, to slaughter the offering, you had to be incredibly precise. But then on top of that, they're talking about the fact that as you're doing this incredibly precise thing, your motives have to be pure. You have to be thinking the right thoughts while you're doing it, because if you're killing the, the animal thinking, you know, we could probably eat this on day four. I think it might be. It's, it's invalidated. The offering is no good. Start over. Cancel that thought. It's like, that's huge. So it's like to be that precise, to be that focused. Yeah, it's like it's like flying an airplane, driving a car. There are certain tasks we do in which we have to be um, at our best. And it, because they're extremely important, we do them exactly the way that you're supposed to. Uh, you know, even, even in, you know, most of the time, you know, in, in work environments, you don't, you don't, if you go to a work lunch, you're usually not getting the beer at lunch. 
maybe after work. But you know, you're gonna probably be very careful about the alcohol you consume during the day because you're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing here. Yeah. And then there's but then there's the other times. What's so cool is like Hashem designates other times, like at a Thanksgiving offering. Right. Or at some of the holidays where it is time now to celebrate, to be joyous and to praise Hashem. Oh totally. Know, and uh, having a glad heart. Absolutely. So it's, it's yeah, it's really about Just don't get the, carried away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really about knowing when is the right time and when is not. Right. I think that yeah, exactly. And and that goes back to what Dad was saying. The idea of like understanding God's mercy and his justice and that they're always present. And that like, you know, in when he's being stricter, he is also being merciful. But when he's being merciful doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. I mean I think how many times I've read, you know, stories or whatever else, you know, or heard comments made or you know, I remember reading one book and be like we were in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Why didn't we die? Because we were covered with the blood of Jesus. And it's like, no, no, you'd still die. Because the Ark is where God has said, the only people are allowed to be here, one guy, one day of the year. Nobody else. That didn't, he didn't say for about the next 1,500 years. Then is the other guy going to be here, and if you say the right words, talking about his name, you can go do whatever you want. It's going to be okay. When, 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 he, when he tears the veil of the temple, the interpretation based on the passage in Hebrews, um, it's a little bit askew, is this idea that somehow now his presence, his holy presence is available to all. No, he tears the veil in the temple. I think the more beautiful picture is the idea of one tearing a garment in mourning. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a symbol to say, now I'm open and, and I'm no longer holy. It's a symbol to say, I'm, this is really sad thought of God being sad it's kind of cool but this this is really sad um, but God is still holy speaking of which I don't I know we have only so much time so I'm gonna I'm gonna move towards the end of the power shot but you guys can come back to other parts if you want to but chapter 11 is all about food or is it because <laughs> what is what, what's the reason in chapter 11 that we're not supposed to eat all this stuff make you unclean but that actually gives like a summation like there's a critical point what is like the most important not to make you unclean but why is being unclean relevant can't draw near can't draw near that's important towards the very very end of the chapter end of the power shot it's like verse 45 God wants you to do all the, I can't remember exact verse but it's something like that it's like you should be holy because I'm holy 44 yes exactly 45, 48. you shall be holy because I am holy so that's like think about that you not having the pork barbecue, which at one point in this walk was a very difficult thing not to do, um, actually makes you holy. I mean, how many songs in Christianity are about trying to make you holy, and we have no idea how to do it? You know, God, make me holy, because I don't know how to make myself holy. I mean, you know, generically speaking, you know, I have to fast, go to Daniel fast. You we know. certainly know what not to do. Yeah, right. Well, that's exactly it. God says, don't do this. If you don't do this, you'll be holy. Whoa, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Um, no ham at Easter. No ham at Easter. Yeah. No. Oh, the irony. <laughs> um, to, to tie that back to to Nadav and Abihu, um, Leviticus Rabbah or Vayikra Rabbah um, says that. King had a 
had a secretary, and he was in the habit of hanging outside taverns. When the king noticed that, he took his head off. He turned to the guy that he then assigned to be the secretary <laughs> and said, don't hang outside taverns. In the same way, the, the Midrash says, as soon as Aaron's sons died, Aaron is warned about not drinking wine while he's serving. Because he needs to be, by what he does not eat, by what he does not consume, he is set apart. Hmm. And it is exactly what you're saying out of chapter 11. By what we do not eat, we are set apart and are therefore holy. And that's exactly what he has just finished in chapter 10 saying to, to Aaron. He lost two sons. You need to be holy. You need to be set apart. So when you serve, don't drink alcohol. Simple as that. So I agree with you. Uh, jumping ahead in the quick hand, though, Hillel would say, in a land where there are no men, be man. Mm. And, and in, the sense, in that sense, with this regard, it's to me, it's very easy, very easy to be holy in the South where you have pork barbecue. <laughs> because I'm different. Yes, right, you are. Oh, you it's have not so grits. easy. Now, and this is where our interest, understanding of holy is, is skewed. That's what I'm saying. Because if I'm in Israel and I'm living in Jerusalem. Piece of cake. I mean, yeah, that's easy. But does it make me holy? And the answer is yes. Yes. It doesn't seem as much then because I'm not different than anybody else. I'm like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's not about being different from everybody else around That's right. you. It's right. about being different from what God has said. That's the key. That's true. Mm -hmm. And being set apart specifically for God. It's like we're talking about, like in some of the songs you read for during during the Pesach holiday, this idea like, I am my beloved, my beloved is mine. This idea of possession, this idea that right. I belong to God, he has a right to say, and it makes me set apart. And you can tell, I mean, one of the things um, that we, you know, we talk about is really kind of, um, is really interesting to watch. You can tell when, when someone's, you know, part of the same family, there's parallels. I mean, if I'd never seen the, the, all the Martins in one room together, I, I could have met Mr. Martin, and I could have met his kids, they look nothing alike, and yet, they are so similar. It'd be so easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, I can totally see that he's their dad. You know, because there's so much, 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 especially we're in the same family. He is, I mean, that's really quite an honor to give him the opportunity to be like God. But then the notion of holy, and this is what I was getting at, the notion of holy is, unlike Camus or Nietzsche, where the contrast is so important, Otherwise, we can never understand light until we see darkness or whatever that kind of nonsense is. What we need to understand is God's definition of holy is all that matters. We don't have to see non-holy to know what holy is. And if we live in a land where everybody does it, how Praise much God. better that is. That's right. And we still know that that is acting in a holy way. Right. Well, that's because there's a difference. It's holiness is not distinction. Holiness is being set apart. By him. Everyone can be set apart. Um, because they're setting, being set apart from something for God. Right. Even if it's common, not sinful, just right. common. Right. Right. It's contrasted to holy. Nothing wrong with it. Yep. But this is set apart. This is holy. Well, he specifically mentions from the land of Egypt too, which is so cool that Israel, being so close to Egypt, 
it, nowadays, like you said, you can go to Jerusalem. And that was one of the things that was so cool to just look around and think like, these people all like keep Shabbat and they do what I do, sure, and do everything. They don't even like realize that they're doing it. Like these are a bunch of secular people that are probably not driving on Shabbat and not you know working and stuff. Because that's what we do. And it's I, it was really really cool to see that that it's been preserved from the, for those people and now they have a place to do it. And, it and, and they're they're right over there by Egypt and of course Egypt is not, none of that's applicable there. But it's just yeah they're very set apart. Yeah, absolutely. As a nation, they're set apart, and that was also part of God's goal. I mean, you're talking about being, you know, looking the same as everybody. That's exactly what God wanted. He wanted the nation to be set apart for Himself, right. not just the. Individual. So it's not just about being a fool for Jesus. Right. Yes. Yes. This idea that somehow David danced really hard, and therefore I need to be act stupid, but say it's for Jesus. That will draw people to Him. Mm, not so sure about that one. But being set apart for even for if him, it does, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Is that really what you want? Um, but instead, if you if you draw people to God by being different, or not being different, by being holy, by being set apart for him, doing the things that he asked you to do, that's a different story. But the reason why I want to start with that and talk about Leviticus 11 is because um, I believe the food commandments are specifically spiritual in nature. That's the purpose, that's the goal. It's about connection with God. It's not about the benefits of them. That being said, God's genius. Because if you read through chapter 11 of Leviticus, what you quickly find is that what God is protecting the people of Israel from eating, he's protecting them from being exposed to certain things. I mean, in, in Exodus, God promises, if you keep my commandments, none of the diseases of Egypt will plague you. And there's a whole book on none of these diseases, you know, whatever else. But the point is, though, yeah, there's a lot. But the, but the idea, though, is that God is remarkably wise. I mean, if you look, like even the small, like the big stuff, obviously, we know the pig has trichinosis in it, and back before they could cook it very well, whatever else. But even smaller things than that, like think about, um, so God says that if a rat dies and falls into your, your water pitcher, you should probably get rid of the water pitcher. No, you should definitely get rid of the water pitcher. Well, the only, yeah, guess what, guess what, guess what creatures, you know, he, lists, he doesn't list everything. He doesn't say if a water bug dies or a fly lands in your, in your thing and it dies, and that's it, it's over, you have to throw the whole thing out. He specifically highlights certain creatures. And the wisdom in that. I mean, during the bubonic plague, the Jews were the only ones who weren't dying. They were very careful with things like rats. Hence, they got blamed for causing it. <laughs> because, well, it, I mean, they, there's something like death. Death is something that you take very seriously in, in Judaism. In, in the, with food, if something dies, you, you know, if you pick up a dead animal, you've got to wash your clothes, unclean till evening. That means we're not going in the temple. We're probably not, you know, in, in, with this kind of death, it's not transferable. With human death, like, you're not going around shaking everybody's hand, you know. You're burying your dead dad in the wall. In the wall. In the right. You know, Juliana's reading was reading a book um, oh. about, about pregnancy, and they're talking about some of the history. And um, they said that, and I thought this was shocking, deaths at hospitals for pregnant women started to decline when a doctor realized, after I've gone to the morgue, I should probably and wash my hands. done an autopsy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I might want to wash my hands uh -huh. before I touch a, a pregnant because he, yeah, because he was research. Like Shocker. He was going and doing research on the corpses, and then going back and taking care of the. Yeah, we heard that story. Oh, so and and they were dying. They were what's dying. crazy though is that like God already told us this. Yeah. Like this was not new. And I think it's the beauty about looking at this at this account. Like if you think about it, like throughout history, one of the most some of the most important things in maintaining health 
reason why, I mean, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons why lifespans in Western society today, the world today, not everyone's living longer. It's not because, well, we discovered a couple of things here and there, we can, you know, sell this product, do this, whatever, yeah, we're good. It's like, it, you need certain things in your environment. You need to have, you know, shelter, you need to have food, refrigeration, you need to have the clean water. Well, this parasha is talking about clean water. It's like, you know what, if the, if the animal dies in a cistern, running water, probably okay, you can drag it out, clean it out, whatever. But if you if it dies in your little pot, you know, dies in your stove, we're starting over. You know, it's like the the idea of um, of so many of these commandments, things about uh, when you talk about uh, not only with, with death and with the food that you're eating, but also things like refrigeration. So they're like the, let's say about the sacrifices. Once it's been there for a couple days, the meat sitting out in the Middle East, we're, we're done with that one. <laughs> And I think it's like, wow, like God is so smart. It's not a smell test. Right. Count the days. Right. And God is so smart. You shall not. And it goes back to this idea of it's not, God's not trying to be mean by punishing us for doing things that are wrong. He designed the universe to work this way. Surprisingly, when you obey God, the universe lines up very nicely with your life. People live longer. They live healthier. They have good things happen to them. They have success in their business dealings. They do well in, in, in their family lives. You know, if you, if you have a healthy marriage, there are a lot of diseases you don't get. You know, these types of things. God has already lined this out for us. And even though it's not the reason for the commandments, it is a obvious benefit. I'm just going to give a current event. My mom, brother, and sister all live on Maui because of air quality issues. Because the sugarcane plants are no longer operating, they're cutting down all the sugarcane. Well, apparently there were rats that lived in the sugarcane that ate the remains of the sugarcane. Well, there's nothing to eat now. Uh -oh. So the rats are running around on Maui looking for things to eat. Um, the rats are leaving droppings. The snails are eating the droppings. And the snails are climbing on the fruit and vegetables. <laughs> huh. People are dying. Snails have a disease they're passing on to people. If you touch in the snail, you can get it and it's fatal. So when you buy your fruits and vegetables now, not only do you have to wash them, you have to wear gloves to wash them. Because if you get your hands wet at the same time, you can catch it. Snail flu. Snail flu. <laughs> wow, that's kind of funny, but not. That's terrifying. Yeah. Wow. Paradise is not so paradise right now. That's really <laughs> Snails away from Hawaii. <laughs> but actually, wait, you know what's crazy? Snails are on the list. Snails are one of those creatures. They die in your water pitcher. You got to start over. There you go. Yeah. So the snails are, are God's creating a all kinds of problems on Maui. Wow, that's really crazy. Wow, that's really scary. It is. It is odd that a snail. I, I, find, I laugh only because it's a snail. You know, seems like it's a non-threatening creature. <laughs> As it turns out, it can't like run after you. <laughs> Get out of there! The snail's after me. <laughs> but think about. I mean, how easily it can be transferred back to here. I mean, people go to Hawaii all the time. Yeah. You know? It's really yeah. serious on Maui right now. I think they put a wall around Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. But the idea, though, that like what God is teaching us here is so beneficial. Even the things that God didn't command the Jews did, like washing your hands. You know, that was extrapolation of a commandment from the temple. Um, that's like those small things protected the Jewish people throughout centuries. They like to say, the even talking about uh, even on the very they say that the Jews didn't keep Shabbat. Shabbat kept the Jews. Not only the culture, 
but also for health. I mean, even today, we're finding out, you know, in the last 20 years, people are saying, you know, if you take a day off, that really helps with cardiovascular health and mm-hmm. stress and all, you know, anyway. It's cool, too, that the end of all of this about food is almost like a direct quote about the end regarding, like, the wine. And um, it, it talks about, like, you know, that you, um, you shall be holy for I am holy again there, like you were, like you were referencing, and then talk about the, to distinguish between the contaminated and the pure, between the creature that may be and the creature that may not be, and the, the contaminated and the pure is the same phraseology that's used in the distinguishing between which fire you can bring and which you can't, which just makes the food laws all that more serious. Yeah. Which is why the sages line the food laws up with the offerings and saying that what we're putting into our body has to meet some basic minimum requirements in order for it to be acceptable because our body is a temple. Right. right. The New Testament writers got that right. Mm-hmm. And, what a, and what a cool honor to be able to take on a priestly activity. Whenever you look at the food and go, that's a shrimp, I'm not eating that, you're actually doing a priestly action. Because God gave specifically to the priest the commandment to teach, to distinguish between what's holy and what's clean and what's unclean. That's exactly what you're doing in that moment. You're distinguishing between what's clean and what's unclean. We actually use it, uh, the Shabbat, like dipping your challah in the salt to teach the kids about like the offering. Every right. offering is yeah, requires good. salt, you know, and that's a little Shabbat tradition that the Jews have. Is you dip your challah in salt to remind us of that. Yeah, it's a double portion. So that's very cool. Yeah, that's a good example. And we and we learn humility by eating chicken. Chicken aren't listed. Oh. So we learned that there are a lot of more smarter people than us that have gone before us that say chicken's not listed, but chicken's kosher. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. To tell us that chicken's actually not on the list of things you can't eat. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're looking at all these weird Hebrew words going, well, don't serve any atalef anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Grocery store. <laughs> Which one's that one again? Um, yeah, Gucci pot, no Gucci pot. Um, but they, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, t- um, any other comments on the parasha? Just one real quick. Um, 10.4, uh, the sages are quick to note that when you get two dead guys there, he could have chosen to, uh, to get the brothers of the two dead guys, Elazar and Didamar, to get them up. And he didn't do that. He, he goes to the Uziel boys to get the cousins. It's okay, the cousins. you're not going to be involved in this anyway, so you go exactly, carry the Exactly, exactly. Um, sort of an on-deck scenario, right? The other two boys, the brothers, are on deck. And in fact, we see as we, we keep reading, they take over uh, in those in those things. And I, I just, you know, so many things went through my head at that point that we need to be prepared, mm-hmm. even if it's not our turn to serve in whatever capacity God is choosing to put someone else in. We need to be prepared, um, and that uh, God's calling is is right. Mm-hmm. And sure. He chose wisely, shocker, mm-hmm. uh, to have 
the non-priests get defiled with the dead bodies and so forth. That's it's cool. The, the sages just have some great stuff to say about that. It just kind of hit home to me. Yeah. I think it's also interesting if you look at, of course, the other two remaining sons, Eleazar uh, and Tamar. Um, they they do pretty well. Yeah. I mean, Eleazar ends up becoming the, the high priest for a really long time. It's the story of Joshua. Um, he's a good high priest. Yeah. Um, and then Pinchas is it Tamar's son or is he Eleazar's son? Eleazar's son. Yeah. But Pinchas, of course, talk about zeal, but mm-hmm. in the right way. And so you get this idea that like this this moment and this promotion, so to speak, for Elazar going from thirdborn to firstborn, essentially, um, seems to pay off. Like like Elazar is a good becomes a he is he becomes a very good man, and more importantly, his son, his son becomes a good man. Exactly. And God actually draws the priesthood line through that specifically. Yeah. Um, in, in respect of that, so uh, in, in fact, you know, you mentioned this is one of the rare times when God speaks directly to Aaron. Mm-hmm. And the Pirkei Avot is going that we're going to read in a minute here, in verse twelve, is going to bring that out. That Aaron's a player. Oh yeah, Aaron's very cool. We like Aaron. Um, also, thought it was interesting talking about you had the brothers, cousins come to help out. Right. Moses also says, "You guys don't mourn; we will mourn on your behalf." This is really a, a principle in Judaism today. This idea that, like, when someone is hurting, the community comes and carry helps carry that burden. Right. That's the whole idea of the um, the sitting shiva. You know, your job is to sit there. Your job is to mourn and weep. We are here for you, but only as much as you need. You know, you we're going to come in, not going to greet you. You can talk to us if you need to talk to us, whatever else. But but we're here to be there for you. And I think that's really kind of pretty powerful here. I mean, today, you'll see stories about, like, Rabbi so-and-so passed away in Jerusalem, and his funeral's like 80,000 people. You know, it's like that, that idea that it's not a... Um, I know we sometimes kind of um, poke fun at, you know, Hillary's. It takes a village to raise a child. It really takes two godly parents. Mm-hmm. Having the village around the parents is beneficial if it's a good village. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It does. God does believe in community. God does believe in this idea that um, you know to have those people support one another and be there for each other um, is extremely important. Mm-hmm. So, during the last war, when lone soldiers would die, it was really amazing the crowds of people that would come out. There was information being on that they were lone soldiers, and you know, thousands of people that didn't even know him would come out to support. Lone soldiers being soldiers in Israel whose families either are no longer with us or had not immigrated. So the only, they're the only they're the lonely ones, the only ones in the land of Israel. So lone soldiers oftentimes will have people host them for holidays and it's a big deal in Israel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring my own head right now of the the kingdom to come. You spoke of how to be holy now, this is the foods that we eat and this is what we leave alone, but in Israel it's a little different. And I thought, well, in the kingdom to come, what is holy if everybody is doing the same thing? And I thought, well, that's glorification, that's unity, that's we back to all the houses looking the same. We're glorifying and saying, hey, you're doing good at that. This is it's uplifting. And to one day be in that kingdom to come where we're all obeying the Father and we're all doing his will, that's glorification. Yes. 
No, no, no. It just that's that's where I went on this whole journey of like, mm. wow, that's that's what's to come, of just one big glorification. Maybe it's not. We don't have holy at that point. It's just all glorified. Yeah, that's what, and that's everything what God says. Holy. Everything is holy. If you go to Zechariah, that's the idea. The normal pots will be holy. Like yeah. the that the bells on the horses will be holy. You don't, have, idea. To, you don't have to teach anybody about the Lord because. But the whole, but everything will be holy. Let's go back to my dad's comment. Holy is not being different. Right. Mm -hmm. Holy is being set apart for God. Set apart from what? Well, set apart from the things that God said not to do, whatever that might be. I mean, the reality is that there is an alternate side of doing at something always. But when you choose to do what God has said, that makes you set apart for Him. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Wanted to quickly throw in a couple points about our haftara, and then we'll move on to the prayer vote. So, uh, who, who who read, um, uh, does anyone remember what happens? Okay, so Uzzah touches the ark, doesn't work out so well for him. David realizes, this is a little scary, we might want to rethink this whole approach. Mm-hmm. So he drops the ark off. Since, since we're doing it wrong anyway. Yeah, right. a cart, man. Drops the ark off, and where does he drop it off? Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. Oh. Cool thing about Obed-Edom, it says that God blessed Obed-Edom. Mm-hmm. Well, the sages, and this is, I love... Rashi, the guy's like, he's a computer, the amount of things he remembers. He goes, computer, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he goes, he, he thinks that, he think, realizes, oh, but he, where have I read? Well, obviously, it's in one of the myriad genealogies and chronicles. I mean, I knew that. <laughs> so he pulls out, oh, there's, a, there's a guy named Obedita in the Chronicles. It's probably the same guy. So it turns out this particular, I, I, he says he's a Gittite in, in the story here at Haftara. Um, in, in the Chronicles reference, he's actually in the group of the Levites. So his exact genealogy is a little, a little confusing. But um, uh, Obed-Edom, it says he's blessed. So Rashi looks in Chronicles and sees that the guy has, uh, of Obed-Edom, there are 62. And he has eight sons. So Rashi does a little math game. And I can't remember, I'm not exactly sure how he gets all the math to line up per se. But he's like, so his tradition is that when the ark stayed at Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom's wife and all eight of his daughters-in-law had sex tuplets. Awesome. That is a lot of kids. Bring the art, man. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, it's like God's fertility chromosome. I'm thinking about, like, yeah, I'm thinking about, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I bet grandfathers in this room, they could totally go for that. Give me 50 more grandkids. Love that idea. Yeah, the reconciliation of those two, according to Raduk, is that he was a Levite, but he lived in Gath. Ah, there we go. So the Gittite is the land that he lived in, but his actual like ethnicity was Levite. That makes sense. Okay. So what was the red that he was a servant to? I know, right? Weird name. Hmm. Servant of the red. But uh, yeah, so God blesses Obedee's mm-hmm. family by making it a lot bigger. Uh, amen to in our days. And, and then David thinks, oh, maybe it is okay. <laughs> maybe it is okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Like, Obadiah does a good job taking care of the ark, but he actually inspires David to come back and get it. Mm-hmm. He takes a risk by keeping it, I think. Yeah, I think it's a little scary at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it would be. And he is rewarded. He's rewarded, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Oz not there. But he must have had the right strategy. Right. Well, if he's a Levite, I think that's, that, that mm-hmm. incl- implies that he probably was maybe a bit more yeah, understanding of the situation. We'll let the ark float in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> put a table underneath it. <laughs> and no one's allowed in the living room anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Kids, I'm just telling you, it's floating. Don't go look at it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. Any other comments? Okay, so per K vote. Oh, yes? I. I just think we should pause and reflect upon whatever the church's notion is about Uzzah. They have, as far as I can tell, and as long as I was in the church, many different reasons why Uzzah died. Doesn't it say? That's not really relevant to the church. <laughs> <laughs> he reached up and touched the ark. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I, God was mad. I, I think. Don't make God. I think ultimately, and, and what the church does not get is that Uzu was concerned, evidently, rightly or wrongly, but honorably, hmm. that the ark of God was going to end up in the dirt. But Uzzah mistakenly thought that his hand, that the flesh of his hand was cleaner, more worthy than the dirt which God had created. Interesting thought. Yeah. And I, I think it's something to stop and think about. Because in our own world, we, we tend to think highly of ourselves. We are set apart. We are holy. And to think that Violating God's word, specific instructions on what day is the day we should worship. What things we can eat. What things we can eat. Amen. Second guessing, if you will, the very instructions of God. More than second guessing, contradicting. But even just second guessing the, the, the specific instructions of God and then trying to, quote unquote, help out. Hmm. is I mean I, I don't think anyone in the church really today because of their disdain in most cases not, not to talk about their salvation their relationship with God or anything like that or to put them down in any way but because of their understanding of the uh, import of the commandments of God I don't know that they can possibly come to a good conclusion about Uzzah's death. Because it's clear Uzzah died because David sinned. David sinned. True. Because he violated God's commands on how to move the ark. And actually, this Rashi, um, I think it's Rashi, comments on that point, and he says, you know, David. They say, how did David not know what every school child knows, how the ark is carried? And they say that David made the mistake at one point in his Psalms. He says, yeah, he talks about how much he knows of the Torah. And so this was kind of a humility gut check. It's exactly what Solomon did with regard to the wives. We've got the story about the yoke, right? And that's actually, I don't know if it's in this week, but that's in the Perkei vote. They yeah. talk about this idea, don't let the, your wisdom trump yeah. the Torah. Yeah. But... Um, 545 in the Siddur? Uh, yeah, 545 in, in this traditional Siddur. If you're in the ladies' Siddur, what is it? C-H-A-D-A-D dot O-R-G. 31. 
So um, what I thought we would do is um, kind of read around a bit, and uh, um, if you don't want to read, just you know, pass it on. Um, and just kind of, there's not that many. There's, yeah, it should take uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes, but it's a really good one. So it always starts the same. Very beginning. All Israel is a share in the world to come. As it is said, and your people are all righteous, they shall inherit the land forever. They are the branch of my planting, my handiwork in which to take pride. Before you freak out about all Israel is a share in the world to come, the only place in the Bible where that concept is mentioned is by Paul in Romans. Uh, Julian, if you would take the first one. Oh, well, yes. Well, it's reference. There's a reference in Isaiah 60 similar to that, I believe. Is that the exact word? No. But. But Paul is drawing the idea. All your is, all Israel shall be righteous is what Isaiah 66 says. Okay. Sanhedrin 11 1 is where we get the rest. And Paul. Paul wrote it first. Yeah. <laughs> You're up, Juliana. Okay. Moses received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua. Joshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly. They, the men of the great assembly, said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, develop many disciples, and make offense for the Torah. Shimon the Righteous was among the survivors of the Great Assembly. He used to say, the world depends on three things, on Torah study, on service of God, and on kind deeds. Is it Antigonus? No. Antigonus, leader of Soko, received from Shimon the Tzadik. He would say, don't be like the servants who serve the master in order to receive reward. Rather, be like the servants who serve the master not in order to receive reward, and let the awe of heaven be upon me. Now, how are we going to do layers here? We'll, have, we'll go around and then we bring back. Yosef ben Yezer, leader of the Zeradah, and Yosef ben Yochanan, leader of Jerusalem, received the tradition from them. Yosef ben Yezer, leader of the Zeradah, says, Let your house be a meeting place for sages. Sit in the dust of their feet, drink in their words thirstily. Yosef ben Yochan, leader of Yerushalayim, says, Let your house be open wide, treat the poor as members of your household, and do not converse exceedingly with a woman. Excessively. I'm sorry, excessively with a woman. They said this even about one's own wife. Surely it applies to another's wife. Consequently, the sages said, Anyone who converses excessively with a woman causes evil to himself, neglects Torah study, and will eventually inherit Gehenna. They're, they're, they're pretty blocked. intense. Yahshua ben Perhaya says, Accept the teacher upon yourself, acquire offense for yourself, and judge everyone favorably. Natalia Barbell says, Distance yourself from a bad neighbor, do not associate with a wicked person, and do not despair of retribution. Yehuda ben Tabari and Shimon ben Shekach received the tradition from them. Yehuda ben Tabari says, When serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer. When the litig litigants, stand, litigants. litigants stand before you, 
consider them both as guilty. But when they're dismissed from you, consider them both as innocent, provided they have accepted the judgment. Shalom ben Shatak says, interrogate the witnesses ex extensively and be cautious with your words, lest they learn to lie. Shemaiah and Ahalion received from them. Shemaiah would say, love work, load mastery over others, and avoid intimacy with the government. Ahalion would say, scholars, be careful with your words, and you may be exited to a place inhabited to a place inhabited by evil elements who will distort your words to suit their negative purposes. The disciples who come after you will then drink of these evil waters and be destroyed, and the name of heaven will be desecrated. Hillel sure. and Shammai received the tra tradition from them. Hillel says, be among the disciples of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving people and bringing them closer. Sure. He used to say, he who seeks renown loses his reputation. He who does not increase his Torah learning decreases it. He who refuses to teach Torah deserves death, and he who exploits the crown of Torah shall fade away. He used to say, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I am for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Awesome. Shammai says, make your Torah study a fixed practice. Say little and do much, and receive everyone with a cheerful which he didn't follow his own advice. Mm. <laughs> Not traditionally. Hillel took his advice well. Those are, good, those are still good words. Uh, Rabban Gamliel used to say, accept a teacher upon yourself and remove yourself from uncertainty and do not give excess tithes by estimating instead of measuring. Hmm. Shimon, his son, says, all my days I have been raised among the sages and I found nothing better for oneself than silence. Not study, but practice is the main thing. And one who talks excessively brings on sin. Rabban Shimon ben Gamiel says, The world endures on three things, justice, truth, and peace. As it is said, truth and the verdict of peace are, are you to adjudicate in your gates. What? Adjudicate. Take us home. What? No, the, that is the last one. Well, read Rabbi, Rabbi Kanania, Ben That's the end. You don't, can you not, do you not have that? You don't have the Rabbi Ooh, I think cutting up. Oh, man. Guess we should <laughs> stick with the story. Rabbi Kanania ben Akashia says, The Holy and Blessed is he wished to confer merit upon Israel. Therefore he gave them Torah and mitzvot in abundance. As it is said, Adonai desired for the sake of, his, of its righteousness that the Torah be made great and glorious. Thank you, brother. Amen. So each chapter has the same prefix and suffix in the Siddur, maybe not necessarily in the fancier books. Online. Actually, it is here in the blue text, which I was ignoring. Oh, okay. So, sorry about <laughs> that's that. actually, Perkei about chapter 7 is always be the blue text. That's right. <laughs> I, I, it's only if, one verse. If I could just... Uh, uh, kind of lift this this volume up, uh, and I'll leave here on the on the coffee table. I mean, just as an example, here's what you were reading. You read this little piece. Here's that little piece in Hebrew. Everything else is commentary, <laughs> and the blue stuff is the coolest stuff you'll want to memorize. Let me tell you, unbelievable. Very cool. Because it gives you it gives you the the uh, biographies of the men that they're mentioning. 
mm. and saying who they were, what time of time period. Mm. Every one of the ones we just mentioned actually precede the birth of Messiah. Amen. And if yeah. you if you uh, if you're curious to learn more about these people. Go digging through the archives, the Minotaurus classes. That's right. I think we've talked about almost all of them at some point. We have, yes. No lessons on them. Then if you close us out in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. You are uh, swift with judgment, but you are always and, and eternally merciful. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of Messiah. We thank you for the gift of your word to instruct us. And we thank you for wise men who have taught us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Amen.